Hello, my name is Chris Casey, Managing Director with Windrock Wealth Management. Today I have the pleasure of being joined by Dr. Lawrence Kotlikoff, who is a professor of economics at Boston University. He also served in the Reagan administration. He's written numerous articles and books, many of which can be viewed at kotlikoff.net, that's K-O-T-L-I-K-O-F-F.net. And I count over a dozen books, I'm thinking 16 or so. So, uh, Dr. Kotlikoff, thanks for joining us today. Uh, great to be with you. Now, I know that your body of work spans a number of different economic fields, but today we'd like to focus on the U.S. fiscal situation. Just to, so the audience is, is knowledgeable about the current situation, we have not had a reduction in debt since the year 1957. Current federal debt, official federal debt, is over $18 trillion, which is in excess of the latest GDP figures at $17.6 trillion. Revenues next year, I believe, are estimated to be about $3.3 trillion, so the debt is equally easily five and a half times that of projected revenues for next year. But these numbers, although dire, they don't tell the whole story. I know you've done a lot of work in this regard as to what truly is the U.S. debt obligations today. Can you expound on that a little bit? Yeah, sure. The, these numbers are basically meaningless numbers. Um, the um, the reason is that the government is free to choose words to describe the money that it takes in and, and pays out. So if Uncle Sam comes to you, Chris, and, and, uh, and uh, takes $10,000 this year, it can say that it's borrowing the money or it can say that it's taxing you. 10,000. Suppose it says it's borrowing the money and promises to pay 20,000 in 10 years, principal plus interest, just suppose. So it takes 10,000 now and gives you back 20,000 in the future. Well, the government can say that, um, gee, I'm borrowing the money and I'm paying you back principal plus interest uh, in the future. Or it can say I'm taxing you now and then I'm making a transfer payment to you in the future. Now, you don't care what words the government uses. You're handing over 10000 now, you're going to get back 20000 in the future. And if the government uses one set of words, namely borrowing and repayment in the future of principal plus interest, then the obligation to repay the 20000 to pay the 20000 in the future goes on to the books. If the government uses uh, the tax transfer language, if it says it's taxing you 10000 now and making a transfer payment to you in the future of 20000 that obligation to pay the 20000 in the future, because it's called a transfer payment, is not on the books. So we have tens, of, really hundreds of trillions of dollars here in transfer benefit obligations, which are not, not on the books. I'm talking here about obligations of Uncle Sam to pay you and me and everybody else Social Security benefits, uh, Medicare benefits, Medicaid benefits, uh, if we need them. Uh, and there's other obligations the government has to pay for, for example, defense spending. Uh, that's an ongoing obligation. It might be a lower obligation if we cut down on defense, but it's not going to be zero. Uh, there's obligations to pay for the president's lunch every day. So these obligations are no different from uh, just because the government calls one thing one, you know, uses one set of words or another. So what we have to do is look at all the projected expenditure commitments of the government to things called principal plus interest, plus, but also Social Security benefits and Medicare, Medicaid, and defense spending, 
uh, infrastructure spending, and compare that with the present value of all the taxes the government will be collecting to cover those obligations. That's what uh, we call fiscal gap accounting, uh, we economists. And the fiscal gap in the U.S. right now is not $18 trillion, which is the size of the gross official debt, but it's actually $210 trillion. That's the fiscal gap that the U.S. is facing right now. And that corresponds to about 10% of GDP, 10.5% of GDP on an ongoing basis. So we would need to come up with, we're broke to the tune of 10.5% of GDP. 10.5% of GDP is about 58% of annual tax revenues. So another way of saying this is that Uncle Sam is underfunded by the tune of by 58%. And these numbers aren't the commonly reported. Why is that? Is the government exempted themselves from reporting it? And I, I know that you've done some work with a bipartisan group uh, to have them officially recognize such obligations, the, the INFORM Act. Can you talk a little bit about that? Right. The INFORM Act, uh, people can look at it at www.informact.org, theinformact.org. It's um a bill in front of Congress that would require the Congressional Budget Office and the Office of Management and Budget and the General Accountability Office to do fiscal gap accounting on a routine basis and actually start telling the truth about our long-term fiscal finances. And from my, you know, these numbers speak very clearly to the fiscal bankruptcy of the country. The country's in terrible fiscal, long-term fiscal shape. And so why haven't we had Congress and the Congressional and these agencies of the government and the administration uh, be, why haven't they been doing fiscal gap accounting? Well, they, they're politicians, and they're basically or, or organizations influenced by politicians, and they're lying. They've been told not to tell the truth so that they can get reelected. So uh, and the economics profession has recognized the fact that the country is in terrible shape, that we're, we're doing misleading accounting, we need to do fiscal gap accounting. So if you go to the informact.org, you'll see that over 1,200 economists from every top university in the country, Stanford, Harvard, MIT, Chicago, Princeton, Yale, you name it, Northwestern, Boston University, uh, Berkeley, every top university and every minor university really in, in small colleges, 1,200 economists have endorsed this bill, including 17 Nobel Prize winners. Now, Getting 17 economists to agree to anything, let alone 1,200, and getting 17 Nobel Prize winners to agree to any piece of legislation is essentially unheard of. So this is the economics profession saying in black and white on this website that uh, we have an economic time bomb, a fiscal time bomb that we've planted under our children's feet, and it's going to go off. And we have to start, at least at a minimum, start acknowledging what what we've done, what we, what kind of a legacy we're leaving them, and start addressing as grown-ups this fiscal imbalance. There's other countries that are actually run by adults that don't lie about their fiscal problems. Uh, you, know, you look at Canada, you look at New Zealand, you look at Australia, you look at Chile. They have fiscal gaps that are close to zero. Uh, even Italy has a fiscal gap that's essentially zero because they've been um, reforming the pension system quite dramatically, something we haven't done. So uh, the country is in terrible shape, far worse shape than Detroit as a comparison. Uh, 
you know, and you can look at program by program. You can look at Social Security. Can it pay its bills through time? Absolutely not. It's its own trustees are saying in table F, uh, 6F1 of the July released uh, 2014 trustees report that the system is 33% underfinanced. The rest of the U.S. fiscal system is in, in the even worse shape than Social Security because overall we're 58% underfinanced. So, uh, so we can't. The government has been cooking the books. It's been doing accounting that make, would make Bernie Madoff and and the guys from uh, Enron uh, blush. It's it just horrendous what they've been doing. It's also immoral. Uh, it's not, it's, but anyway, I, I mean, I could go on at length. But <laughs> anybody, anybody who um, cares about his children should be pushing to get the Inform Act passed. All they have to do is call their members of Congress and tell them to get this bill passed. And it's, it's probably worth underscoring the fact that this is a, a bipartisan bill that you have support, not just from uh, economists of all different stripes, but also uh, in the halls of Congress from both sides of the aisle. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And let's go, let's go back to this number you had mentioned before. I think it was $210 trillion. That's the, the gap between, that's the excess of the present value of obligations uh, by the federal government relative to the present value of future tax revenues. That, I mean, that number in and of itself dwarfs worldwide GDP by at least a factor of two. Um, where do you see this headed? What what options does... By, by the way, just, just to be clear, mm -hmm. that, that calculation is based on numbers, projections from the Congressional Budget Office. It's not some crazy projection that I came, out of, came up with. It's just taking the Congressional Budget Office's own 75-year projection, extending it, doing some present value discounting, all takes about five, ten minutes in an Excel spreadsheet. You end up with two hundred ten trillion. It's right there. Uh, so what are you what are you gonna ask? Well, you know, that's an interesting point. That you had mentioned this is based on on hard government data uh, figures that are using some fairly basic assumptions to come up with some present values. What I imagine because of those assumptions there there is a range. What what is that range we're looking at? What's the best case scenario and what's the worst case scenario? Well, I think the uh, the best case scenario is that we're half broke. You know that that we were twenty five or thirty percent underfinanced, not fifty eight percent underfinanced. That would probably be the very best case scenario, and uh, that might occur if um, if we uh, were able to keep healthcare uh, spending beneficiary in Medicare and Medicaid under under control so that it wasn't growing one or two percentage points higher in terms of those benefit levels than per capita GDP uh, but there's and it you know beyond the healthcare problems healthcare spending problems there's just the basic issues here of uh, the taxes are too low relative to the spending or the spending is too high relative to the taxes uh, there's a big gap, and it's projected to rise. We've got an aging population. It's going to, you know, 10,000 baby boomers are retiring every day. That's uh, a lot of people who are, uh, you know, being promised something like thirty, forty thousand dollars per head. And, and you know, think about the baby boomer generation. Seventy, something close to 80 million of us. On average, we're going to be collecting in Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security about forty thousand dollars per person. In today's dollars, when we're fully retired, 
And if you multiply 80 million people by $40,000, you're over $3 trillion a year. That's a lot of money to shell out. And we haven't made provision. We've known for decades that the baby boomer was going to retire. We've done nothing to prepare for that. So we, we you know, when I say the country's not been run by adults, I'm serious. It's been run by people that um, seem to hate children. We're, we're engaged in a war on our children is what we, what's going on here. So what, what options are at the federal government's disposal? Do, do you see, is it, Politically, could there ever be a default, a selective default? Will they keep inflating the money supply and essentially servicing the debt by through newly printed dollars? How do you see this playing out as far as their... Well, well the government has been printing money out of Wazoo for the last six years from starting in 2008. Uh, the, the amount of money that's been printed uh, has been basically an, uh, an increase in what's called the monetary base by a factor of almost five at this point. So four or five. So we printed something like three trillion dollars worth of money out of the globe, maybe two and a half three trillion dollars to pay the bills that uh, the Congress is not paying for through taxes. And Ben Bernanke described that policy as quantitative easing. What it was really doing is easing the burden of Congress in raising taxes or cutting spending. So I see this process of inflating away the debt, inflating, trying to inflate away print money to pay bills as already happening. And the potential for inflation to take off based on what's happened already based on how much money has been printed up to this point, is very significant because you have banks sitting on like $2.5 trillion worth of excess, what are called excess reserves. They have a huge amount of money they can just start lending out. And if that gets into the bloodstream of the economy and starts circulating around, we can have a very quick uh, return to inflation. And it may end up with very high inflation, if not hyperinflation. You, you, I don't know if you remember Milton Friedman, the uh, economist was focused on money, monetary policy, and uh, but if you were, he's passed away of course, but if you were to tell Milton Friedman to wake him up from the grave and tell him that we've increased our base money supply by a factor of five, he would say hyperinflation is around the corner. Uh, it's a miracle, really, that that hasn't happened yet. People seem to be not connecting the dots here, uh, or or perhaps there's just been a huge increase in the demand across the world for for dollars, maybe for illegal narcotic trade. Or I don't know exactly why we haven't seen inflation, but it's it's uh, I think it's but I I think it's in large part the fact that people don't realize how broke the country is and that this money printing is not just to get us out of a recession but but really to pay our bills. That is that is shocking. I mean I, I frequently compare the potential of what can happen down the road to that of the nineteen seventies. But even then when you had inflation and really inflationary recessions, we didn't have anything like the debt levels that we have today. So there wasn't the incentive. In fact 
when you mentioned that that Bernanke was was printing this money really to service government obligations, it reminds me of uh, Alan Greenspan. I think was was quoted recently. This is only a few. I think it back in November of last year, is stating, "Well, everyone thinks the Federal Reserve is independent. One factor, somewhat beholden to the fiscal policy of Congress, and that they have no choice but to print money." Now, whether he's trying to you know, shrug off blame for, for his actions or not, but but he did say that the Federal is not as independent as some people think. So you definitely see some inflation potentially down the road. Any other repercussions that you see shaking out of, of the current debt and situation and the monetary expansion that's taking place? Well, I think it's um, – we have a, a – I think there are things we can do right away to fix – fix this problem. I've got a, a website called thepurpleplans.org, thepurpleplans.org, which has lays out a, a series of policies for how to fix the economy and get rid of our fiscal gap. It really requires radical surgery. But if we continue along this path, we're going to be gradually, you know, what we're doing is gradually increasing taxes much too slowly and cutting spending in certain ways. But we're doing it in, in under the cover, uh, under the rug, uh, by telling people all if they earn this much money, they suddenly face some extra tax that they weren't aware of, and we call it a Medicare asset income tax. And most people probably aren't even aware that there's a new Medicare asset income tax, which is 3.4% of your asset income if you earn more than, than uh, $250,000 in income. Uh, so we're sneaking in extra taxes, uh, and at some point, people's incentives to work are going to be understood to be very small because of the way this whole system has been set up to to be uh, uh, to produce huge disincentives to work. And they might even start moving to a different country or just work underground. I mean, so uh, if you look at the history of countries who haven't paid their bills, uh, including like Argentina, it's not a pretty picture. Argentina had the fifth highest per capita GDP in uh, about a, you know, 1910, if you look back then. Today, it's a developing country. How did it go from being a developed country to a developing country by engaging in terrible policies? Um, and there were terrible fiscal policies. Accumulated huge obligations, and some calling them, you know, some of these were called uh, official borrowing, and some were just called unofficial transfer payments for their obligations. And, you know, they've had periodic hyperinflations and defaults, and the country is in terrible shape. Well, that, and that could be our future. Sure. Well, the, the facts that you know we've laid out here, your your analysis and uh, in, in just the reality of the situation are is sobering. Um, if people would like to follow your work, any other websites that they should, you know, I don't know if you have a Twitter account or how people can follow your your latest work. Well, my general uh, website is uh, kotlikoff.net, K-O-T-L-I-K-O-F-F.net. I also have a company. I try and help people in terms of personal financial planning advice and social security advice, I figure everybody should should understand what's coming. They should also understand how to do financial planning pro properly the way economists think it should be done. 
So there's another website which is called economicsecurityplanning.com, economicsecurityplanning.com, which is our uh, company's website. We do divorce planning for people that are getting divorced. Uh, we do uh, social security, as I said, maximization pro uh, planning, just full-time, uh, full-fledged financial planning uh, for people who are just trying to plan for retirement or whether to whether to switch careers or whatever question is, move move from one job to another. Uh, we've got a software that can help people. But um, and then again, there's this uh, website called thepurpleplans.org. And also the informact.org, people should look at that and become familiar with that bill and push their members of Congress to pass it. Well, great. Well, thank you for your work. Thanks for taking the time today. And um, like I said, the, the facts are sobering, but uh, but but it's it's good to know the reality of the situation, which you're certainly enlightening people as to uh, that fact. So thank you very much, Dr. Kotlikoff. My, my great pleasure. Thank you.